Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. And welcome to Foment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Mary Isaac. <laughs> and I'm Chris Kuzmi. And we're here to talk to you about all things fermentable. That's right. And we are archived on iTunes and we're archived on the website. But let's get right into it. Actually, no, we have a couple of announcements. Mary, what do we got going on? All right. There's a workshop this weekend that's being given by Angela Davis. She was um, on our Milk Kefir show a couple of months ago. It's called um, Preserving the Harvest, the Basics of Lacto-Fermentation. It's going to be on 61 Local, which is on Bergen between Borum and Smith Street. It's a, a fantastic bar. Um, it's Sunday, July 28th from 530 to 730. It's right near the F and the G train, if it's running, that is. Um, it's only $35. So, you know, basically all about lacto-fermentation and fresh veggies, uh, preserving fresh b- veggies. So please... Um, Ooh, I didn't have the website here. But if you Google lacto-fermentation in 61 Local, you can find how to purchase tickets. We had a couple other things. The New York State Food and Beer Expo is this Saturday from on July 27th from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. at Biba of Williamsburg. That's on Kent Avenue in Williamsburg, obviously. Um, we're also, I've planned a homebrew social slither slash homebrew hang slash pub crawl on Saturday. Um, you can find that details about that. We'll put it on our Ferment About It site tonight. It's in Astoria, Queens. So we're going to hit four bars um, and restaurants in Astoria, Queens. If you want to hang out with some homebrewers and you're free this Saturday, you are welcome to join us. And in my new role at 508 Gastro Brewery, um, I've also found myself on the New York City Brewers Guild Council, and I'm in part of the event planning committee. And we are having our first fundraiser to get prepared for uh, – uh, New York City Beer Week 2014 on August 25th, uh, featuring a lot of local breweries and a bunch of breweries. It's going to be a nice block party, uh, New York City Brewers Guild block party at the Wick or the Well in Bushwick. Uh, check out New York City Brewers Guild dot com. And here we are. Welcome to our show. Feel mad about it today in the studio. We have Brian Strumpke of Stillwater Deals and Ales. How you doing, Brian? And on the phone we have our good friend Jess Cottle of Y Yeast Laboratories. How you doing, Jess? Good. How are you guys? Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time out to to uh, to call in. Yeah, no problem. So we know you. We we've met you several times, and and we actually aired an, an, a former interview uh, of your spring collection, the the private collections of what you're working on at Y Yeast. And today we'd love to talk about the summer releases. Yeah, definitely. So that's just came out this month, right? And they're generally available July through September. Yep. Exactly, yeah. They just started in July, and uh, we'll be going for three months awesome. with them. And I know our local homebrew stores are stocking them. So let's start with the first one. The first is uh, Y Yeast 1026, and that sounds like an interesting, it's a British cask ale strain. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's it's a pretty neat strain. Um, it is a nice strain. It produces a lot of, I guess you call it light fruit esters, like peach and apricot aromas. 
Um, and it's a really good flocculator. It'll stay in suspension during fermentation, but when fermentation's done, it, it drops out really well. And compared to other English strains, it's probably a little lighter on the ester profile. It's not as in your face as some of the other English strains maybe with with ester production. So it can has the potential to be pretty clean if, if you want to use it that way. And what was the um, what was the inspiration be- behind you guys coming out with that one in particular? Well, it's it's one we've had in our our bang for quite a while, and it actually was on our permanent lineup for a few years. But uh, we just took it out of rotation, so we've had quite a few people request to bring it back for a short period. Yeah. Do you think that are you guys having more? Do you think more home brewers are doing cask ales at home? I think it's becoming a little bit more popular. Um, I think doing cask ales is uh, a little more complicated maybe than some other brewing processes, but definitely not too hard to overcome by most brewers. Absolutely. And do you have any tips for home brewers that are going to work with this yeast? Um, I Well, one of my tips would be uh, not to be afraid to use it in a large range of styles. It's great in IPAs and, and all the way up to stouts, so it's a pretty versatile strain. Would you ever... Uh, um <clears throat> use it to cast con- like use the yeast itself to cast condition yeah i think it would work well for that um i think most of the time it's not necessary to add a, a new strain for the cast conditioning part but right. um it'll work great for for cask and before we go on to the next strains jess i, I love you and your story and, and what is it that you do particularly for why yeast well at this point, I offer a lot of the technical support for home brewers and professional brewers that call in or, or shoot email questions to the lab. So mm-hmm. I field a lot of technical questions, um, but I also work in the QC lab and run a lot of the analysis on samples that people send in from different breweries. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I get to travel around to, to different shows and talk to people about beer. Beer is good. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Beer is good. But I, I like overhearing your conversation with Mary about, like, crazy, wacky fermentations, too. Yeah. I, I, I enjoy the weird. I guess weird beers are becoming not so weird anymore. But um, I like working a lot with the lactobacillus. You uh, sour beers quickly and, uh, and then mess around with the Britannomyces, too. I'm usually not brewing a lot of American or English-style beers. It's usually some oddball stuff. <laughs> Very cool. We're in full support of that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, which brings us to well, this is not too wacky, but uh, it's a it's a fun one. Your beer to guard, uh, thirty seven twenty five. Yeah, yeah, that's a a pretty cool strain too. It's it's great for that style that it's named after. Um, it's uh, typically pretty. It it backs up the malts in the beers. Um, it's you often described as is earthy and slightly spicy, but not over-the-top phenolic or cinnamon or anything like that. And it, uh, it produces a lot of alcoholic character, typically. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's great for those beers, and it's great for darker, um, darker malty beers. You can handle up to twenty twelve or twelve percent ABV. You say, yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty aggressive strain. That's pretty pretty right on. Yeah, it can, it can be 
deal with it. And then it looks like you have a recommendation temperature range. You're, it's pretty wide, 70 to 84. So yeah, that sounds like, of... I mean, I know we have a lot, I know I have a lot of friends who brew bearded guards and they wait until your bearded guard strain comes out. Um, mm-hmm. It's really popular uh, with a lot of my friends. And I think that's part of the reason because we have, you know, a lot of people who don't have great temperature control in the summer. This is something that they can easily use to produce a really nice beer where yeah. they where they're not able to to brew other beers in the summer. Exactly. I think people can use this strain at higher temps and still get some good flavor profile of the beer as opposed to some other strains that may be a little too solventy at warmer temps. Right. Any tips for working with that beer as far as like malts or um that one you know, I because of the versatility of that strain, it's it's pretty forgiving. So um, I think that with this one, it's just to not expect it to clear up super fast. Mm-hmm. It's going to hang out in the beer for a little while, so um, be able to give it some time and conditioning if you can, if you need it to be bright. Cool. Yeah. And then the last one, uh, thirty-eight twenty-two, the Belgian Dark Ale. Yeah. I would almost uh, describe this strain as a, a strange E-strain. Why? Uh, strange. It's kind of uh, all over the place. I've, we had a, uh, a home brew, or it was a professional brewery festival out here in Portland called the Portland Cheers to Belgian Beers. And this festival was centered around a bunch of different breweries using a single strain of yeast. And one year, the 3822 was used, and it was really interesting to see how the beers were all over the place. Um, this strain has a tendency to be pretty acidic, so the, a lot of the beers that were made with this strain had a, a tart character to them. Yeah, you have Flanders Brown in there. Yeah. As one if, of the beer styles is good for. If you didn't want to mess with bugs, uh, this is a strain that you could use to kind of get moving in that direction that's interesting yeah that's fun have you toyed with uh, barrel aging with, with this with this strain i haven't okay. personally but quite a few people like using this strain um with barrel aged beers and with Britannomyces because it will leave sometimes a significant amount of residuals for for other bugs to munch on that's very fun that's yeah. fun <laughs> yeah that sounds like a good. We're, we're our our um, New York City Homebrewer Guild. We're talking about doing a a kind of a similar thing where we're going to use either one sa- a recipe and then change up. We're probably going to change up the yeast, but actually, this would be fun to all use this yeast and just change up everything else. So, especially yeah. based on what you're what you're saying. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that this strain is it works really well for darker beers, um, but I think using it in a saison. Recipe would be pretty interesting too. Yeah, you could eat, yeah, even a dark saison. I mean, there's a ton yep. of Belgian Belgian esque um, dark beers that you could yeah, try. Definitely. So, what else have you been talking? So going back to the Britannomyces and the Lacto, have you been doing anything interesting lately in at Y Yeast or anything new that you guys are working on? Yeah, we're trying to dig up some new Britannomyces strains um, to test out and see if we can come up with some some fun stuff for for future. PC offerings. Very cool. But, uh, the long-term testing, you know, it takes a little bit longer than Saccharomyces just so we can see what they're really doing over a few months of aging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
you said some of your strains are kind of in rotation or about being out there and, and not do when when they when they show up again are are they pretty consistently the, the same or has it mutated a little bit or have you have you changed have, have any of them changed in character yeah so if they're the same number then they're the same strain that you may have gotten 10 years ago mm-hmm. um we definitely do everything we can do to minimize the variation or drifting of the strains. So we have quite a few things in place to, to keep drifting from happening. But um, if we ever do see some interesting changes, then we may bank that strain as a new strain and, and then test it later on to see if it's something worth using. That's fantastic. Um, when you... When you uh could you tell us, it gives a quick 101 on what it would be to, to culture a yeast from a bottle uh, sure. as, you know, as cleanly as, as you would do. Yeah. You know, the big, are you talking like making a starter from a bottled culture? Or yeah. Actually, I've, I've gotten my favorite yeah. uh, Belgian beer. It's bottle conditioned and, uh, you know, okay. I'm going home with it and I, you know, yeah. oh, I want to keep okay. it or mimic it. Yeah. So the first thing I would do when you get that bottle home and you're, ready to drink it is actually clean the bottle up a little bit you know clean it and and run a little sanitizer the outside of the bottle before you open it exactly yeah and uh that just keeps the dust or whatever may have been on that bottle from drifting in there when you open it up and typically what i'll do is pop the top in a sanitary way and if you do have a torch handy you could give it a quick flame over the top of the, the bottle just for standard sterile technique practice mm-hmm. um, and then try to find a place to pour that beer that's away from air that you wouldn't want to contaminate your wort with and pour that beer into a glass but save the last know, about half an inch in the bottom of the bottle and then you can either uh, flame the top and throw some sanitary foil over it and refrigerate it or if you're ready to Start some culturing right there. Have a you know, around a 500 ml starter solution sterilized and ready to go, and you can inoculate that straight into the same bottle. Yeah. Well, you can dump the bottle contents into your into glass or, or whatever. Or. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. what, do you recommend usually like 1030, 1035 starter? Yeah. Gravity. You know, typically, well, I think a general rule of thumb is around a 10 Plato, 1040 original yeah. gravity board. For growing up yeast, so I'd say anywhere plus or minus five points is good for that. I like it. Yeah, that's fun stuff. Yeah, and if uh, if you don't succeed on that first one, um, you might give it a shot with just a smaller volume of of wort. A lot of times the yeast is is pretty beat up, and so you might need to start it off in a smaller volume and step it up. Exactly, just keep stepping it. Yep. Mm-hmm. I try to minimize those steps um, just because every point you're transferring is a potential for contamination. Right. Well, Jess, thank you so much for spending time with us, man. Yeah, no uh, problem. It's great. I look forward to the time we see each other again. And do one more thing before you. Have you ever messed with kefir grains? <laughs> um, just a little bit, yeah. The water kefir specifically is what you're uh, That is what I'm asking. I've been, Mary's been making a lot of water kefir lately, and it's freaking delicious. And I feel like there's a lot, of, a lot of fun places for whatever's going on in there to end up in some, some beers. And, and, um, what? Yeah. It's, I, I mean, haven't messed with the water kefir too much. 
um, some, a friend gave me some grains, and I smelled it, and it just uh, didn't work for me. So I, <laughs> well, I that, dumped it. It hasn't but, always uh, been successful. I think uh, we shared it with Brian earlier today, and the smell was totally off. It was very sulfury, sulfury. Uh, today. Yeah. But that was just an off, I mean, out of the... The mini the made, that version, was the only yeah. one. The 20 ones that I've done and from these grains, that's the only one that that's happened with. But I think it was at the tea that I had, okay. that I added had something to do with that. I mostly do it with fruit. But it's interesting because there's a lot of tartness. So I think that's what Chris is, is yeah. you know, referring yeah. to. And depending how long you let it go, and, you know, there's lots of stuff that's going on there. So Exactly. Yeah. You know, the, the grains I got were probably similar situation. They were really sulfury and... And uh, I didn't necessarily trust the person I got them from, so yeah, <laughs> I, I figured I'd save it for a later date and give it another shot. Well, I, I encourage that. Sure. <laughs> I encourage, it's totally worth it. <laughs> it's fun stuff. We're going to do a water career show soon, um, but uh, that should yeah. be fun. But thank yeah. you so much, Jess. Really, sincerely, man. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. And we've got to take a quick break, and right. we'll come back with Brian Stillwater Shrumkey. Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. You know, there's no more telling aspect, no more revealing virtue of a group of people having evolved in a lovely way than how they feed themselves, how they entertain, how they put food on the table, what they put on the table. Heritage Radio Network provides the clearest evidence that there's hope for us yet. Heritage Radio's like Fairway Market in that we both care deeply about what you're having for dinner tonight. Heritage Radio Network is not just about food, though. Every time I tune in, I learn something about things other than food, too. Architecture, design, stuff like that. But from where I stand, I still say, if you can't eat it, what's the point? For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. Welcome back to Ferment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. So we just finished talking to Jess Caudill of Y Yeast Labs about their private collection. Um, it's currently available at your local homebrew stores that carry Y Yeast. They'll be available between about July and September. However, I know a couple of these are very popular. Uh, the British Cask Ale, the Beer de Garde, and the Belgian Dark Ale. So if you have a local homebrew that carries it, order it now. Um, if you're in the New York area, I know that Bitter and Esters and Brooklyn Homebrew both carry the Y East private collection. So we want to thank Jess, dropping some some knowledge. Also, it's great to see that Y East is working on developing some new Brett strains or isolating some new Brett strains for future offerings. That's pretty exciting with all the Britannomyces experiment that's going on. Speaking of Britannomyces, we're back with Brian <laughs> Strumke of Stillwater. Hey, Brian. Hello. How you doing? Doing good. <laughs> Uh, so, who are you? What is Stillwater? Uh, in, in two minutes or less, because we're going to get to, to details and stuff. Um, <laughs> I'm a dude from Baltimore with a, with, a, with a shaved head and a penchant for making unconventional beers. And you do it well, speaking of Bretonomyces, she says. Yeah, because I met you, I think, back at 
Cooperstown, probably one of the BCTCs. Yeah, a long time ago. Yep, years ago before you started Stillwater. <clears throat> so talk about Brett. Actually, I'd like to talk about your the premium that you've done with Britannomyces. Um, yeah, I've been doing. Uh, I mean, I've always been a big fan of Brett uh, beers in general, um, <clears throat> and I've used. I've been using a lot of strains from my friend Chad Jakobson of Crooked Stave. He's doing a lot of uh, Britannomyces isolation and such. So, uh, I guess premium in general is one of my favorite beers that I've, I've designed and it's, a it's a riff on the American post prohibition light lager. So it's made with uh, corn and rice, Pilsner malt, old school hops, like uh, Northern Brewer cluster, you know, all the totally untrendy. <laughs> and nobody wants and it and it, and it kind of came about like as we've had this you know, we had we went from having the hop crisis you know a couple right. years ago then to having just this explosion explosion of like craft brewery like multiplying yeah. over the past yeah. year so it's like <clears throat> hops are harder and harder to come by so i was like i really thought it'd be cool to design a beer with like hops that nobody nobody cared about mm-hmm. and um <clears throat> so uh yeah it's just pretty much a you know, I, I call it a deconstruction of the post-prohibition American light lager, which is probably the most definitive American beer that there is. Um, and what what was the inspiration behind using Brett? Uh, well, I mean, I, <clears throat> I thought it would be totally cool to just like take all the same ingredients that like they're using in Budweiser or or PBR or something like that, and then and then re- and show how radically different, like it, you know, it's. How it's like it, it's really nothing to do with the malt profile, you know. That beer so it, it comes out so dry, and so in, and all that's really talking to you is the is is the yeast character and 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 the hops, you know. And it's not hops is embittering, and that's the other kind of annoying factor when people are like, oh yeah, it's hop, you know. They, what's the IBU? Like, oh, how hoppy right. is it? How, what's the IBU? It, I mean, this beer is it's two pounds of hops per barrel, but it's only ten IBUs. Right. So. And you do that because you you charge it at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like <clears throat> it's. I mean, to me, I love hops, but I like the flavor and aroma of hops. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing there's nothing elegant about you know really brash bitterness. Mm-hmm. So it's like you know, if I want a hoppy character, I want I want to smell and taste hops, not not just like just not get a charge of like an IBU charge to the tongue. Mm-hmm. And the Brett really dries that beer out. Yeah, yeah it, leaves, it gives you that kind of dryness that a otherwise really hoppy beer might, or like a really uh, bitter beer might finish. Exactly. I mean, and that, that's one of the things. Most of my beers, I'm really in the dry beers, and so my IBUs are always much more on the lower side than people would expect because there's not a lot of malt character in order to, you know, to complement and to balance it out. Like a nine percent double IPA of sorts with a final gravity of. I don't know, maybe like five or six Play-Doh. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's theoretically 80 IBUs is not going to be, is not going to taste as bitter as a beer that finishes at one Play-Doh um, and has 30 IBUs. Right. Right. And I think it's, I think it's great how your beers really do showcase the yeast strains and serendipitous that, uh, you know, we had Jess on today with that. I mean, you play a lot with a lot of different yeast strains <clears throat> from all around. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like, I guess I've always kind of touted the idea that 
at least with a lot of still water beers, it's like I really build in the yeast as a as a very important ingredient in the beer. And a lot of times, I may start with a yeast strain and then build the recipe around that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not always the case, but it's it's <clears throat> you know to me it's I mean it is one of the major factors. It's what you know, if it, you know if you ever taste it wort <laughs> prior to fermentation, and you know that there's a lot that goes on. Yeah, between you know, then and the yeah, end. Yeah. So. <laughs> And and I don't think it's something that should just be discarded. I mean, you know, especially you know, talking with Hawaii's, then it's like there, it's there's so many unique strains out there, and there's so many interesting flavors and aromas that you can get out of there that maybe relative to you know organic compounds like you know hops or flowers or spices and and stuff like that. But it, <clears throat> you know, I, I I just think it's it's some you know, yeast is sometimes overlooked in the brewing world it's just like oh this is just to get me from point a to point b i want it you know that's why lagers and stuff have become so popular like in, in the like, american beer culture it's like because it's very neutral it's not about the yeast is not adding anything you're just you're just drying out you know you're, you're just fermenting down the malt and hops mm-hmm. but you know it's <clears throat> there's um you know there's so much more you can get out of a i think out of a beer if you really take the fermentation into consideration you can take advantage of the multidimensional factors that that can exist rather than the straight corridor. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's... and you're kind of known. You're obviously known for your saisons. I mean, <laughs> known for a lot of things, but saison among <laughs> them. I heard over a lot of things there, right? And you do a huge variety of saisons, and you know, we're 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 in the end of July. We're nearing the end of July, heading into August. We had, a lot of home brewers just give up. I mean, I'm not brewing this summer. We have we have chest freezers to ferment in, but our kitchen's like it was 92 degrees last yeah. week. So I'm not boiling anything. Yeah. But if if I was going to, you know, for home brewers that that are still brewing or want to brew, saisons are a great choice. Yeah, I mean, in all honesty, that's that's exactly how I ended up being the saison guy. Um, because when I was, home, you know, when I started home brewing back in like 2004, um, I got really into it, and I and it was like summertime came. And living in Baltimore, my house, you know, didn't have central air conditioning, so my basement, even my basement, would get in the 80s. It was hot, and um, but I wanted to brew, so I'm like, what am I gonna do? Mary and I are like, lucky uh, you, 80s. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds cold. <laughs> well, I was, I, I, I was like, I, you know, I was like, well, here's. I, I was, and I've always been a fan of the saisons. Like, be, because I've always been, inter- you know, what got me into beer was like really interesting, like kind of Belgian things that have interesting yeast profiles. So I was like, well, here's my chance to master these really difficult strains that everybody talked about. Because like the Dupont strain is notorious for like, you know, like it can ramp you know, up there, yeah, yeah, just, live, live in the nineties, stalling right. out. Well, and, that, but the, well, the, stalling the, the out, stalling, and, and it's yeah. like, and I, you know, we've all. You know, most people that have worked at Saison yeast have experienced that mm-hmm. at one point until you figure out the process that will get you. Um, once you get it figured out, those strains can, can operate like any, any other ale, ale strain. But, you know, you got to give them the environment that they, they desire. Um, <clears throat> but that was that was the thing. It was like, my, you know, my house is always, <laughs> it was, it was always so hot that <clears throat> I took advantage of it. And, um, and that's why I'll say, you know, I'm always the big component of, like... <laughs> The, the the best advice you can ever give a home brewer is to invest in a temperature controlled fermentation environment. You know, it, it took me a long time in my home brewing career to finally get a. I, I bought an upright freezer with a Ronco, you know, temperature controller and uh, a fifteen gallon 
Ferminator or whatever. And mm-hmm. that was the ultimate. That was the best thing. Unfortunately, it was, it was it was like right before I started Stillwater, and I <laughs> yeah. bought it. I bought it as an investment for the company, just so I was like, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna hammer out these, you know, some of these recipes and stuff, I need to really control be able to control. That every bit of the process because so i was like had to create an environment that simulated a professional environment to Mm -hmm. the best of my abilities now i think other thing another thing so you do a lot of varieties of saison i mean i don't think there is one i mean a lot of i guess think of saison dupont as kind of the classic saison but now i mean you do a lot of varieties and your saisons taste very different and i mean they're all very elegant and very drinkable and beautiful but what are some of your inspirations or some kind of tips you would give for for people that are designing a saison recipe, well, I mean, first off, it's it's there, there's no real rules. I mean, that's why that's the other reason why I went into saisons because not only you know not only was it you know it was just it was kind of serendipitous that I had a really hot house and saison <laughs> yeast, not all of them, but at least you know like the Dupont strain that's a very popular one out there really needs high fermentation temperature to get to finish its job, but. And the other, the main thing was when I started homebrewing, it was like I didn't, if I was going to put that time and investment into um, producing something, I wanted to produce something new. I'm, you know, I, I did, uh, you know, I'm, you know, this is an artistic endeavor for me, and I, I didn't, I, I didn't just, I didn't want to just go out to just create another, to emulate another product. I wasn't going to create another IPA for the, for the world, um, right. and so, Cezanne to me was like was the only cat like you know i'm very anti-style um you know i'm not a not a bjcp fan and such so it's so you know i i want i want to see new things created so saison was the one of one of those was seemed like the most creative outlet because it it, nobody really knew what it was and people still don't know what it is It's, Mm -hmm. it's the idea of farmhouse brewing and working with what you had on hand and um and to me, you know, that's what kind of turned me on to the whole thing. So it's a wide open style, the common theme yeah. being yeast strains that, that have a certain character. Yeah, I would say, uh, yeah, I would say the one thing to look at, I mean, the, <clears throat> the other aspects, are, you know, I really like dry beers. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, the, I think the only common characteristic in a Saison is a dry finish, mm-hmm. like, you know, dry, low, low final gravity and, and, and a yeast forward um, component. You know, mm-hmm. it's definitely going to have, you know, it's going to be high in the ester and phenolic profile. Mm-hmm. Would you recommend somebody kind of starting, if people have, haven't brewed Saison before, like starting with maybe a basic Saison recipe and then yep. thinking about, I mean, it sounds like, you know, you think a lot about what the yeast is going to add to this beer. So then have people drink that base beer and think about what other flavors or aromas that they might like yep. that would work well with that. Yeah, the most important thing is is under, understanding your yeast. Like, you know, when you're using these Saison strains, uh, you know, they're all lumped as Saison strains. And, you know, again, it's kind of funny, but it, it's what it really is about. It, it, it's like really, I mean, you, you know, this this yeast is going to, it's going to leave its mark. You know, it's not going to just disappear. Mm-hmm. So understanding all of them. So, yeah, I mean, probably, you know, if I want, if somebody really wants to understand it, I would say, like, just make a straight up, like, all 100% Pilsner and maybe one kind of simple hop like Saz or something like that. And, and then go through all the different strains, you know, kind of like your single hop series or your single yeast series. Mm-hmm. And it's just a way to, like, you know, get your familiar familiar yourself with it. Um, 
But then there's also other variables. Like, I mean, one of the other things that people, like, there's different temperatures. You know, I, yeah. I will ferment, depending on which strain I'm using, anywhere from the low 70s to the low 90s. Um, and maybe with similar strains. And it's like, if you can get the strain to complete at a lower temperature or something like that, it's going to provide a different profile. Yep. Um, so it, and that's another fun thing. It's, you know, I'll use one strain to make something that's maybe, you know, sim- more similar to a beer to guard, you know, in characteristics because, you know, lower ester uh, production and more smooth finish, but use the same strain at higher temperature and get a burst of yeast profile and it, it comes off more like the quote saison. Right. Yeah. I love that. I do too. Cool. Lots of ideas <laughs> for experimentation. That's right. And unfortunately, we are out of time. Yep. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Thanks, thanks to Jess Codhill again of Y Yeast. So next week, Chris is going to be gone, but I will be in the studio uh, with a show on adjuncts called Adjunction Junction, What's Your Function? So <laughs> I'll talk to you next week at 7 p.m. on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. From Annabelle. Ciao. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Like a